let's turn to an old friend. Hebrews 11, I have a reason for wanting to go back to some of these old verses. Like I said a while ago, if the devil wants to fight, we'll fight. Because we've been equipped to fight. I think all of you know this segment of scripture. We're more than conquerors through Christ. You know that. Which means that we do fight. There is a battle to be fought. There is a foe to be conquered. You will have that all the days of your life on this earth. There'll be days of relief, but the devil will never stop trying to defeat you. He's not afraid of you. He's not impressed with any of you, but he does know the limit of his power and his might. And his limit is the word of God. And if we believe it, we are more than conquerors. We'll win. When the Bible says we fight the good fight of faith, that's how we fight. And the Bible says the victory that overcomes the world is even our faith. That's what we want to have a lot of. And the Bible says if you resist the devil and he will flee from you, then he will. We have to believe that. Don't come to the place in your life 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and say, you know, I remember those days. I remember that. Keep it fresh. Maybe that's the job that I have. Is to keep before you that which is called a precious thing. Precious word of God. It's a powerful word of God because God backs it. He watches over it. And he keeps his word. And if you hold fast to it, he'll bless you. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read verse 6. I woke up twice last night and all I could think of was this verse of scripture. I mean, when you wake up in the night and your brain is running Hebrews 11:6 over and over, I take that as a motivation. So I came here today and I thought, "All right, let me see if what comes off the page here." I'm almost a little hesitant to teach on this because they teach on it so much. Maybe this is where the same old same old comes from. I don't know. To me, anyway, this same old, same old is as good now as it ever was. It, there is as much inspiration in the word tonight as there has ever been in the word. The anointing on this verse of scripture is as much now as it ever has been. It has never gone away, has never gotten old, rusty, or out of date. Never. It is always fresh. The words of God are tested, tried, and true. They're given to us because God says this is our equipping. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And it's how we fight our battles with this sword. But you've got to believe it. Now, there's a purpose in faith I want to talk about and then end with our war again and about faith. Faith is the most precious subject in the Bible. It's commonly taken for granted, and yet so few people seem to have enough of it or have the kind of it that they use to win the battles in their life. They're always seeming to struggle. But we shouldn't be struggling all the days of our life. We may fight the enemy, but we shouldn't be struggling all the time because we have something that he's given us that makes us strong and overcoming. Now, Hebrews eleven six, you should know this by heart. But it says, but without faith, there's kind of three sentences here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I do believe this. I'm assuming this maybe. That everybody in this room wants to please God. That you don't want to keep coming in and going out, coming in and going out without purpose. Just aimlessly coming, aimlessly going. Word goes in one ear and out the other. You don't want that. You want whatever happens, whatever God is saying, you want it to be said to you. You want to hear it the way he's saying it because you want to please God. You want to please him. You want to be pleasant to him and have things to bless you. And then the second sentence says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And while we would assume that all church members, all Christians know who God is. That's not true. But it's made here as a statement. He said that 
For he that comes to God must believe that he is. We'll get to that in just a minute. The third part of this, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This verse tells us that pleasing God is our purpose. There's many things we're called to do, ideas we should have, attitudes and all of that. One brother I heard one time say that the whole purpose of man is to enjoy God. Well, I can see where we should have such a relationship with him that we do enjoy him. But his preaching went on to talk about how we're kind of buddies with God and he likes to hang around with us. And, you know, I don't read language like that in the Bible. I never have seen it that way. But I do see that, that we are called in this life as Christians, called out of darkness into light, to be related to God in such a way that our life brings him pleasure. That he is pleased with the change that's happening in us that we're responding to. He gives us a word, we respond to it. Our life goes from the old to the new, from dark to light. We begin to live on a level that, that honors him, that pleases God. Going to church, sitting in pews, and having good ideas is not what pleases him. It's a life you live. It's how we please him. That's our purpose. I'm here not to please myself, but to please God. Do you agree with that? Amen. We are here to bring pleasure to God. Remember what Revelation 4 verse 11 says. We sing it all the time. Thou art worthy. Remember that? And then we end that verse with saying, and for thy pleasure, we are created. All things are created for his pleasure. When he made the world, he said it was good. I'm sure he was pleased with that. And he enjoys his creation. God has no needs. He doesn't need anything to remain and be God. There's nothing in creation, nothing in the created order that God has to have. He is self-existent and he needs nothing. But he wants us to know that. He wants us to see that, that it's our privilege to praise him. I don't get a reward, but okay, I'm gonna praise you while I wanna. No, we praise him for the sole purpose of who is revealing himself to us that he is. And you'll find that in that kind of an atmosphere, faith is birthed in people's hearts. Faith, a desire to count on God, a desire to reckon God to be true. The more you learn about him as he unfolds, as you seek, as you really want to learn. You, I mean, you put your heart into this and you, will, you really want to know from the pages of scripture, not from some man's opinion, what is God like? What pleases God? What is it that is about his character and his personality that he wants us to know. And you begin to find out that all of his attributes, there are many of them, these are things that identify God as God. And you begin to see this, God is creator. Well, some people see this and never get away from it. That as creator, he's omnipresent. He is at all times everywhere. God never has to go somewhere to be there. He is at all times everywhere. You can't escape that. He's omnipresent. Only God can make claim to that. And he's omnipotent, omnipotent power. He can create a world from nothing. He can bring into being something that was not. He didn't take something and make a world out of it. He spoke and what is became because of the power of his words. Amen. Now that's pretty high and lofty. I have to admit that's probably over most of our heads, but that's God. Amen. He's somebody to be reverenced, somebody to be considered as, as worthy of your life and your time. If you see it, a revelation of God to his people. Seeing him in his majesty and in his might. And, and all these things about him and his power and his might. And his creation. A savior who can amongst man do miracles 
that cannot be explained, which a natural man cannot accept because he cannot have a natural answer for everything from the virgin birth of the walls of Jericho. It's just senseless for a natural man to be able to believe that. God who sitteth in the heavens, listening to all the reports of man, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. How much man has thought himself to be wise in this world and has in the eyes of God become a fool? Because he said there's no reasonable answer for miracles, therefore they are not to be believed. They cannot be proven. And yet God does as he pleases in the kingdom of man because he's God. He said there's nothing too hard for him. There is nothing he cannot do. There, there is at no time any condition that cannot be changed, even when you die. Somebody who has died, God has no problem raising those people from the dead. I mean, even when they've been dead for a long time and a, they come back to life later. Maybe the Valley of Dry Bones was just a vision, but that's God. And the same God who chose you didn't have to. Chose you from all your friends, your buddies, your classmates, all those people tonight who are trying to have fun and are miserable. He chose you out of that crowd, brought you to himself, took that worldly fun out, identified it as the reason for judgment. You live like that, you'll have to be judged. So he starts changing your life, gives you a new purpose, a new sense of direction because he shows you who he is. This is God. I mean, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who's, who is all things and everything, is willing to reveal himself to you, not as your buddy, but as your God, who the rules in the world. He even is so personal that he orders your steps. And while he has many, many children, he can be personally attentive to you and teach you his way and instruct you in the way that he should go. And who else but God could do this? He will personally guide you with his eye on you. All of us. Nobody's left out. How can he do that? Because he's God. Well, now you start thinking like this. Not trying to make yourself believe this stuff, but you begin to listen and with a sincere heart, you begin to diligently, as he said, you begin to diligently seek and to learn. And it just suddenly starts coming to you. Wow. Of whom should I fear? What should I be afraid of? If God be for me, who can be against me? He can open the windows of heaven for me. Did you know that? Did you know that? That in a time of nothing and of lack, God can open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing on you? God can do that. And he said those words so you believe it. Other people read that. It means nothing to them. But for you, it becomes a, something you grasp a hold of. This would please God because it's what he said he can do. So you begin to think like that. Your friends think you're crazy. You've gotten into some cult. But you begin to realize, no, sir, I am beginning for the first time in my life to see who God is. Now, but God begins to show you himself like this. And you remember, at least I do, I do, none of you all but me, I remember the little church I came out of in which religious man had devised many ways for us as church members to please God. It wasn't anything that was quoted out of the Bible or a, or a way to live or a cross or commitment. It was always either a program of some sort or your effort at doing something or going on this or trying that or being active in church and give us things to do, many departments, many ideas, some way you can contribute and feel better about yourself. And we've done this and we did that. We were doing that. And if somebody says, are you pleasing God? Well, you say, well, I would think so. 
I mean, I look at people that aren't doing what I'm doing. I think if anybody is, I believe I am. I think I'm pleasing God. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, to fit in. I'm trying to make ends meet. I, I give. And when there's a day to clean up or fix up, I, I come and try to do my part. Because you see, man, man has made the way to please God all about works. That the reason you're going to go to heaven is because of all the good things you did. And nobody could do what you're doing and ever go to a bad place. I mean, hell's for bad people. That certainly wouldn't include you because, I mean, look at your life. All these years in church, all these years you've done this and done that. You never paid much attention to the Bible. It never was taught much. Let's say it wasn't. So consequently, you weren't so much of a biblically minded person as you were a spiritual goodness person. And faith was sort of an option. Be nice to have it, but if you don't have it, I mean, it doesn't change anything. I, I don't know if you all can understand what I'm saying or not. I've been there. I know people don't like, sometimes they don't like you to say all of this. But maybe you should turn around and say, you know, everything that every church does is good. It's good. You know, they have their special days and Santa Claus and Halloween. I mean, but that's good. They ought to do that. But look, we get people coming together and people are fellowshipping and socializing and they're smiling and laughing. It's got to be good. You know, if they want to live together. I mean, you know, we're not anybody's judge to tell what people what they can and can't do. And we don't want to be harsh and critical and unloving and unkind. So, you know, work it out. That's okay, isn't it? That's awful. That's tragic. If you want to know how Jesus felt about stuff, read Matthew 23. Matthew 23, you know what he said to the religious people of the day who were devising all the systems of religion that count, who thought themselves to be lofty and better than other people? He said, woe unto you. Remember that? How many times did he say, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? Then he began to tell what you're doing to people that you're talking to. The effect you're having on people is making them unfit for God, and God has to judge those people after you get through with them. Shouldn't we say something about that? Let me tell you something. Those kinds of systems kill people. They kill them because they put them to sleep. They settle you down to the place that you, a little God, Make up your own mind about what you think you should or could do and what you don't have to do and what you don't think you should do. And after all, you don't lose your goodness when you make a decision. You're still a good person. And it's hard to teach people like that because if somebody is convinced that he doesn't need anything that you're saying, then he doesn't have to listen. And if they don't, not much happens. But notice back to our verse, first of all, he that comes to God... Our purpose is to please him, please God. But he says two things. One, I have to come to God. And I've been talking about that. I have to come to him. I have to recognize who he is and who I am. I have to bow my knee to him and, and honor him and realize this, that God is not some figure. God is not some story in the Bible without reality. God is not some myth that Christians have made up who does this and does that and does wonders, but you can't see anything he does around you. But a lot of people, God is just, he's Santa Claus. I mean, he's just somebody up there. But that's the way they refer to him. The guy upstairs, they say, he's not real. He's not really God. It's not, they're not coming to God. They're coming to a system, but they're not coming to God. But you see, when you begin to realize that he is, he is what I said a while ago. He is the creator. He is all-powerful. He is supreme. He is eternal. He is self-existent. He chose you, little microscopic you, and all the mass of creation, one world, because only one son to redeem the world. And he chose you in the, in the little tiny dot on there to become his special personal possession and child. And he loves you enough to redo you, to change you, to, to make you into a new creature. And that will happen when you begin to realize who it is you're dealing with. 
If we just come in here and go home, come in here and go home, and God is just God, but he's not somebody that you reverence, not somebody that you recognize that when you hear his word, it is by his choice and by his sovereignty that you have a chance to hear it. You couldn't just come in here and hear the word. God brought us here, brought us all here to hear his word because he's going to use that word, change your life. And that's the same word that produces faith. Faith, what you're going to believe, how you're going to relate to God comes by hearing and hearing by the words of God. And when you come to him, you learn of him because again, this is what magnifies why we're here. My great reason for listening. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it, he'll bring it to pass. I want all of that I can get. I don't care how dull my day has been, how long it's been, how tired I may be and busy and all. God helped me for an hour to tune in. Not to broadcast, but to tune in and hear what you're saying. Give me something to go home with tonight, if nothing else, about who you are so I can shut my mouth and learn to say thank you, Father, for making me your child. Or thank you for my salvation. That's my daily. Thank you, Lord, for saving me every day. Thank you, Lord. I can never thank you too much or enough for saving me. You didn't have to. It wasn't required of you. And while a sacrifice for all sins were made, the only way anybody can come to God is if God chose them. And he chose me. I know he did. And all I can say is knowing who he is and what a little bit I know about him, that as he's come into focus is praise the Lord. That's why we've never think about lying or cheating or stealing or making up lies to deceive people. We don't do that no more because he's here. He's right here. He's listening. That's why we don't fear what man can do to us or what's coming up or the battles we're facing tonight because God's bigger than all of those battles. He's with us, isn't he? Even when we're afraid, he said, what time I am afraid, I will trust the Lord because he is with us and he is here. Now, what he needs from us is diligence. Didn't it say that in our text? Diligently seeking him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Actually, the, the Hebrew says, unto them that seek him out. Or the, the Greek does, unto them who seek him out. Well, now, let's see if we can make something out of that. We come. We come to church. We sing a while. We wait for the message. So hopefully there's been enough preparation before you get here that you say, Lord, I, my need tonight is to be informed. And if I've let things slip to bring it back to my mind and, and lean on me to get this, I don't want to ever let go of your word. I want to hide it in my heart. And so I want you to make me to hear your word. And God, give the man something to say that it's what I need. I don't know about everybody else, but I have needs tonight. Okay, so you're there and you listen. And maybe just one sentence out of a, what, 40, how long did I pray? 45, 40, 50 minutes, whatever it is, uh, that a sentence, something was spoken. You were thinking about it today. You were talking to a friend about it this morning or yesterday. You heard somebody on the radio mention something and you thought about it and then God says it again, just one sentence that the preacher brought, which confirms what you've already been hearing, which means God is trying to tell you something. So your coming has been a, a fruitful night, if nothing else, in one sentence because now you're hearing something that you need to hang on to and to listen to. So then you begin to listen keenly you begin to hear as though I really need to listen to all of this. Because God said that as you do, as you diligently press in, I think it was in Deuteronomy 28, if you will hearken, the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy at the very beginning, he said, if you will diligently, 
Maybe the word diligently isn't in there. If you will hearken, listen to what God says. If you will give it your best ear night, your best night, if you will, what does it say? If you will what? Does it say diligently? This is not a good definition. This is just amplification. If you will press in to hear what God is saying, because of the motivation of your heart that says, I really need to hear what God is saying. I've heard what the radio said today. I've heard what maybe a doctor said or what a lawyer said or what an Indian chief said. I really want to know what God says. That's what I really want to hear. You know, I respect all these other people and all these other things. But they have their jobs. But I really personally want to hear what God says. Now, I might have let a lot of things slip, and therefore I'm kind of at loose ends. I shouldn't be, but God, bring it all back. Bring it all back. Let me see it again clear, because I don't want to ever let go and fall back into fear and uncertainty. I want to know that any time the devil sticks his head up in my life, I know exactly how to whack it. I know what you've said about how to deal with it, and I want that. So he said, if you will diligently hearken to the Lord, to the voice of the Lord, and will what else? What will happen? He'll reward you, didn't he? All he asks you to do is listen and pay attention. Do you real, listen to me, do you realize tonight, if God can get your mind, God can get you? And if the devil can distract your mind, the devil can invade you? And the longer he keeps you invaded, the less this word affects your life. And so you've got to realize that the devil is going to try to do everything he can to make the word say something it doesn't say or be meaningless or not relevant, not for today, or something so you can start thinking some other way. But God said, if you will diligently hearken, if you will give it your best shot, I'm listening as though I have got to hear what God is saying. Thank God for preachers, but I've got to hear what God is saying. Because he's got 8,000 promises there, and I need a bunch of them tonight. I know friends that need a bunch of them tonight. Amen. I want an invasion of God's promises and power in our life. I want to see the devil flee. All I want to see the devil is his backside. And his elbows. Teach me thy ways so that I can walk in your truth. If I don't listen, I'll never know what you said. I just grew up in church. I went because I had to. I sat there, and when it was over, I was glad and went home. Don't know what they said. Oh, God, deliver me from that. I went through that. And now my eyes have been opened the little bit they have been for all these years. There's not a more precious treasure on this earth than the knowledge of the Word of God. That's how you're delivered. That's 2 Peter 1. Proverbs said, through knowledge shall the just be delivered. This is what God offers us. If you don't want it, you'll live the way of the world. But God offers you this. Look at all the blessings there. This is God's reward. He will reward whom? And those who diligently seek him. He said he will help those who diligently seek him. So if I diligently seek after the Lord, he's going to respond. Isn't he? Didn't he said one time you do something and I'll open the windows of heaven. But he's not going to open until you do something in response to what he said. But your heart has to be, if he never opened anything like that, I'm still going to serve him because he's worth my life. He saved it. It's his. It doesn't belong to me. It's his. So I'm going to worship him anyway, not to get something, but just simply because I want to enjoy who he is. I want God to be pleased. He'll bless you when you go out. Didn't he say that? Somewhere in the front of that chapter there? Deuteronomy 28, what, is verse 2 or 3? He'll bless you when you go out. He'll even bless you when you come back in. 
He goes on to say in there, everything you put your hand to will prosper. Is that a promise? Well, of course it is. And look how many people the devil are robbing financially. And you got that verse of scripture in your lap. Maybe we've heard it before and just didn't see how that could be. And so ignored it. Like I told some folks in India years ago, I don't care who you are, what country you live in, the poorest country I've ever seen, ever. Probably the poorest people I'll ever see in my life. The most run-down, degraded-looking place you ever saw, and yet 300 ministers sit in that little temple with all their monkeys covered up with towels and stuff, sit there four hours every day, an hour at night every day hanging on, writing on any kind of little piece of paper they could find so they could keep the word of God before them. They really wanted it. And I told him, I said, you know, God, God's blessing is not for Americans only. Oh, well, you can get blessed in America because we work more hours than any country in the world. We're the hardest working people in the world. That's true. We're the most blessed country financially, and we probably give more than any country in the world by far. So we, we could, you know, go through all that. But I told him, I said, God will bless you just as much as he'll bless anybody in India. There's no border of any country that can prevent God from doing what he said. When he spoke his word to his people, they weren't exactly living in some, but this is what he said, this is what I'll do. So instead of saying, well, I know he said that, but, you know, if it, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God ain't playing games. This is the Almighty's word. Bow your head. I don't, I'm not praying right, but <laughs> humble yourself before God and realize this. I don't care who you are, where you come from. God said, I want to bless you. And when you go out, I want to bless you when you come back in. Everywhere you are, I want you to be blessed. Everything you put your hand to ought to prosper. Everything from the dishes in your house to chainsaws to your cars to your batteries, your paintbrushes, your whatever you do. Because you approach it with the fact that, God, I'm doing this and I'm aware of what you said in your word. I know you meant it. I'm going to do it. And so as you begin to respond to God, listen to me, you start pleasing God because now you're doing things his way. You're talking his way. You're thinking his way. You're honoring him for all of this. And God is pleased to bless you. What about the 91st Psalm? Did he say with long life he would satisfy you? Did he or not? The last verse, the last clause of your health policy? He said with long life will I satisfy you. He said, no evil shall befall you. No plague will come nigh your dwelling. He will give his angels charge concerning you, and they will keep you in all your ways. That's what God said. I don't know what the religious world thinks about it. I don't know if that even has any effect on their attitude or not, but it should have all kinds of effects on our lives. We start trusting God for these things. I remember years ago, you know, we had this school health policy, and it was logical to me. I went, you know, this logical thing. I said, well, you know, if God said with long life he'll satisfy me and that he will take care of me, then why am I buying something just in case? I said, well, I don't want that. The principal got it anyway because their teacher had to kick in or else we didn't get a break, so he signed me up anyway. I told him I didn't want it, and he signed me up anyway. I said, all right, that's your business, not mine. I've just got a better deal. Because God has revealed that. He didn't reveal it to them. They thought I was crazy. You're off into some, they didn't say this. They never say it to your face until they're mad. But they think you're off on some religious tangent. But what has happened is you've been drawn near to the secret place. There's been a communion there that you didn't know could exist. That God in some strange and unusual, unlearned way is saying something without speaking. You hear what I'm saying? You get something in your heart that makes you think, you know, I can't explain all this, but this is going to work. 
I'm going to live and not die. God's going to turn around my circumstances and turn darkness into light. Why would he do that? Because I'm going to ask him to. Well, you can't tell God what to, I didn't tell him what to do. He showed me this is one of my rewards. This is one of my rewards where he said he would do this. What about Psalm 103? Is there anything good there? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And it said, who forgiveth all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases and sicknesses and, and all of that. Is that good? Let me ask you all a question. Does he or not? Now, if you're saying, well, I would like to believe that he would, but when I look around, I don't see it, then you're putting God's integrity on the basis of what man does and not what God said. Let God be true and every man a liar. Anybody who doesn't speak according to this word is not in light, he's in darkness. And pray that you're in the light and say what God says. If God said, I am, then I am. If God said he will, then he will. All he's waiting for is my faith. I don't care what my condition is or what the circumstance is or how bad it seems or how difficult it is to cope with this. God is bigger than all these things and is faithful who watches over his word to perform it. He will do it. He does. You need a relief. You need some relief here. So let me give you some. Psalms 36. A little blessing here. Verse 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children in Shelbyville put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Your oversight. Your care for us like a mother hen cares for her children. Therefore, we put our trust under the shadow of thy wings. Look at verse 8. Those folks in Shelbyville shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and you shall make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. That's a bunch of nice words run together, isn't it? Drink of the river of thy pleasures. I wonder what thy pleasures are. Would it not be the performance of his word? Would it not be an invitation to come to the river and enjoy that God has prepared a banquet table before you? His banner over you is love. Wouldn't it have to do with something that pleases God? Like he said, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He doesn't need it. He made it for you. He'll reign in it. He called us all out of those places we were before he made the world. Before there was a world made, there was a you in the mind of God. And when your time came, he saved you, brought you out, brought you to him. All the struggles you go through, he was there all the time. Now he's making some changes, making some adjustments. Your life is becoming of value and worth because it's all about God now. You quit running out of here. Well, I don't know about all that. No, not anymore. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O God, to receive honor, to receive glory, and to receive praise. For thou hast created all things you have created, and for your pleasure you've created them, and that includes me. I wasn't created. I was made out of something that was created. Man was formed out of the dust of the earth. We are so blessed because all this time we're talking about personal holiness and seeking first the kingdom and all of that. What is happening is it's developing in us a sense of who God is. His might and his majesty and his power, one in whom you can cast all your worries, all your anxieties, and all your concerns over once and for all, cast them over on the Lord. And then you can take your hands off the worry part of it and let God be in charge. But what may be, may be. 
And every time the devil sticks his head up, I'm going to wear him out if I can. I'm going to swing my sword. But God will take care of my life. God will take care of our home. God will bless my home. I pray that God would bless my family. I do. I got so many grandkids, I think I remember at least all their first names. But I am blessed. I am blessed. I want to live and to see them all grow up. I like to live long enough to see them all get married, but they keep coming. I think, man, I'm going to be a 99-year-old man time they all quit having kids and get raised. Now great-grandkids are coming. That's between them and their daddies. I'm just saying that God has put so much value on what life is about. And to know that it's kind of like in your pocket, you've got something that attaches you to God. It's called faith. All this revelation that God has given has just drawn you to him until, well, yes. Well, of course. I mean, he's God. I mean, he sent his word to accomplish and to do something, and he cannot fail because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing's too hard for God. Why shouldn't I trust him? That's the difference. It's God revealing himself to you and then you desiring to respond by doing what he said and in that way, please him. Now go back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, one more time, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must what? Believe. Faith, obviously, is a noun. It's a thing. Believe is a verb because it does something. A lot of what people call I believe God is nothing more than I hold to the existence of a supreme being that we call God. I don't really know him. I'm not really comfortable with some of the things that is said in the Bible. I have not really acquainted myself with him, and therefore I don't have the kind of peace that I should have. But I do believe in the existence of God. But that doesn't mean you believe, does it? You are mentally agreeing with the facts in the Bible that there is a God. And somehow that satisfies the fact that on the basis of that, you're going to heaven. But really, this word believe is faith in action. If a man believes God, a man does something to show his faith. That's James chapter 2. He said, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith with my works. And then he said, you know, you say you believe God. Well, the devil believes in God. I said that to somebody witnessing to him the other day. Why would you go to heaven? Well, I believe God. I said, so does the devil. And I was just kind of like him messing up the whole program. So, so what's the difference between you and the devil? The devil believes too, doesn't he? James chapter 2? I don't know. I told this one. I said, then you really need to do some homework. I don't know what your schedule is today or the rest of the week, but you, you need to find out about this because there's not a more important question you'll ever answer in your life than to know and to have the assurance of heaven at any time, moment of your life or day from this point on to have the assurance of heaven on God's terms. And the reason that you will is because you believe as evidenced by your life and what's in your heart. To have faith in God is to have what it takes to relate to God. There is no relationship to God without faith. He that comes to God must believe. There must be a life that evidences God. Coming to God, hearing his words, singing his songs, but not living what he said is not an indication you're a believer, but it's one who says you're an acknowledger. But to have faith and thus to be a blessing and to please God, to have faith is that you, you must, as he said, you must believe that he is. He that comes to God must believe. There's things you do with your life that evidence that you believe. 
There's things you rule out of your life. There's things you let go of. There's things you give up because the more God teaches you, the more information you get, the more you see right and wrong and good and bad, the more you have decisions to get rid of things you used to do, start doing things you should do. All of this is evidence just that you're believing what you're hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Y'all remember a verse in the Bible called Mark 11, uh, 20 uh, something, 24? Listen to it again. Allow me. What things soever, what things soever you desire, when you pray, one thing required of you. If you want an answer, if you want relief and if you want success in your situation, one thing. When you pray, believe. When you pray, Accept as true in your heart what God has said to you in his word and make it your point to act like that's true. If you're healed, act healed. If you're believing for your money, act at least like it's coming in. Let your faith evidence itself in what you do because that's what faith does. To have faith in God is to live like God's true, like what he said is true. There is no other way to please God. There is nothing else you can devise, come up with, dream up, and do that sets aside Hebrews eleven six. Only by faith in taking God at his word. You haven't seen him. You haven't heard his voice. Chances are, wouldn't be that interested in it, but we probably can't even prove that all of these words are verifiable to the natural world. All we can do is take it because it says it. You could give me the best tapes and the best scholars in the world about how and why the word is absolutely true, and it wouldn't make me believe it more. I believe it because I want to believe it. I believe it because it's the Bible. Years ago, I surrendered my will and my life to the way in this book, bypassing this and bypassing that because I believe this is right. People were concerned about me. I think my daddy was. Because, man, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to act like that's true. Trying to live like that book is true. I'm trying to evidence to whoever watches that I'm a believer. That what I'm doing is because of what I believe. In this way, I believe God. If a man says he believes in God, but he doesn't live the way he should, then he doesn't know God. He hasn't had that reality of who he is impacting his heart. But when that comes, trust me with this one. It is so natural to desire not only his presence, but for God to speak comfortably in this word to you and to bless you. Because you see, without believing, you can't be saved. You can acknowledge God with your mind and your mouth all you want to, but if you don't believe in your heart, how can you be saved? Look in the Gospel of John. These are verses you probably ought to commit to your memory anyway. John 3, the last verse, 36. He that believeth on the Son has what? Everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son hath not life. What does he have? The wrath of God abides on him. A nice person, maybe a wonderful, gentle grandmother. Nobody likes to think like this. We don't ever want this to be true because she's much too good to be bad enough, you know, and all of that. But anyway, I'm just saying what it said. He that believes on the Son. How do you know if a person believes? Let me say it kindly to you, by their works. Works don't save you. What you do is because of what he's done. But you can't do anything to get saved. But when he saves you, it is, it is obvious that you're going to live as though you got saved. I mean, that's the way it works. But he said, when a man believes in God, he has eternal life in him. 
But if a man does not believe, the word believeth not is a word that means anti-faith, anti-believe. It put an A in front of pistule and it becomes negative. You one who is unwilling to be persuaded to live on God's terms. That's unbelief. I could tell you tonight and make everybody mad. It gets mad over these things, but not many of you do, but sometimes they do. Churches are full of people who don't want to hear the word of God. They don't want to hear you explain it either. If you mention it, don't dwell on it. Get away from it because I'm in there somewhere. They don't want to get convicted. But when a man believes what God says, a man is convicted by what God says, and his convictions lead to a life that is a revelation on the outside of what has happened on the inside. He's that new creature that God wants and that new person that God has saved. And apart from faith, the best efforts in our religious systems, apart from faith, our works are no better than dead works. They please us. They may not please God. Yet, we're interested in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I want to know that what, what I have adhered to, what I have accepted as true, and what I'm willing to believe binds me in a living relationship with God so that he will take care of me, bless me, and so forth. Did you know that faith will call those things that be not as though they are? Did you know that in Hebrews 11 that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible? Would you go back to Hebrews 11 for just a minute? Hebrews 11. Look at verse 11. Sarah was told she's going to have a child by a really old man. This guy was old. And she was told that she's going to bear a child by this man. When he was about 100 years old and she's less than that. Now, how many of you believe that that's not very normal? You couldn't find any of that on Facebook or Facebook, whatever it is. You couldn't find it there. How did she conceive then? What is it that made it possible for the impossible to happen in her life? She had a promise. Are you with me? Didn't God say you're going to be the, the woman bearing this child? Okay, then, then how is it that that then was caused to happen? The Bible says she judged him that promised to be faithful. She better wrestle with this. We all have to wrestle with things. She got alone and said, you know, God, like I've been telling you, God can't lie. What he said is true. Nothing's too hard for him. Sarah said, we've been to church enough to, to have learned that. I got those little tracks. I bought that book at the bookstore the other day, and it says all about the power of God and the ability of God, the latent power that God puts in man so that man can. You know, but why didn't he do this when I was 20 or 30 or 40 or forget it? Why didn't he do it then? Why does he have to wait till I'm, I'm an older woman? Why indeed? But do you realize this, that because, and I'm putting this in my words now. The Bible doesn't say this, I'm just imagining this. Because she wrestled with God. She went over the things about God that he had shown her about himself, who he is, what he can do. Nothing's too hard for God. Nothing can keep God from doing what he has decreed and said. Nothing. And if he told me, I'm going to have a child, and Abraham's going to be the daddy, okay, so be it. Because if God said it, he can do it. And the Bible says because she judged him Faithful. 
she conceived strength to conceive. Look at the 19th verse. Well, what about Papa? Abraham, when he was, how old was Abraham? Pretty old, wasn't he? He considered God in Hebrews 11 and verse 19. It says, accounting that God was able to raise up even him from the dead, accounting that God was able, 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 that God could do this. Verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. That's amazing that he was able to do all of these things simply because he believed. Only because he believed. And he accounted that God was able. Isn't that what we can do? Isn't that what we do? Isn't God able to fix something? Is there anything you can't fix? Nothing. Is there any problem that can't be solved? None. God is able. Whether we believe it or not. We may go through this life as beggars when God said you don't have to be a beggar. You've been trained to be a beggar by the world. You still listen to the world and the world makes a beggar out of you. But you don't have to be beggars. If you want to die a beggar, you go ahead and be a beggar. But if you want to please God, live on my terms. I will change you and lift you up and so forth. But you have to believe. You have to believe. All right, in closing. This is where a lot of people are. Okay. I hear what you said. I see what you're saying. I see the thing about God revealing himself to us and learning of him and relating to him and out of that coming this assurance that anybody can do that, can take care of me. All right, I see that. But there are some things I'm fighting tonight, some things I'm wrestling with. There are some situations that have to be dealt with. And I don't know if I have the absolute exact kind of faith to do that or not. I mean, I... If I'm a little hesitant, am I wrong? No. Bible told us to count the cost. Some of these things don't come easy. They draw you to a closet where you shut the door and turn off the radio and you let God deal with you. But you come to the place where you have to deal with things. I've asked myself more than once, you know, what do I believe about teeth? What do I believe about that? Could God fix teeth? Could he cut hair? Could he shine shoes? Well, see, those are dumb things. But I have to start with the fact that, you know, what is the will of God? I know what he said he can do. I know what he's capable of doing. But what do you believe? Are you persuaded that he'll do that for you? Are you convinced? Are you sure? Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's done, it's settled, and it shall be that God's going to do it, and bam, whatever I'm believing for? You say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still dealing with it. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So what do you do? Well, let me ask you, let me give you four or five questions. You just, you can answer these on your own. Number one, do you want to believe? You really want to believe that? You may have to walk this thing out. Do you really want to believe what God said on his terms? That's a question you have to answer. Secondly, if you really want to believe, are you willing to read? Are you willing to take some time of your day and read and ponder or meditate? Are you willing to take some time as you read and I'm talking about reading, especially things that pertain to your circumstances. If, if it's divine healing, read, read scriptures about healing. There's a lot of them. If it's a financial thing, read what God says about money. He says a lot about it. If it's about marriage, it's on the rocks. Divorce. What does God, read what he says about it. Take, if his answer doesn't suit you, take it. That's the way it ought to be. Read it, study it, sit down with it, take some notes, write it down, ponder it. Didn't God say, come now, let us reason together? Bring it to him. 
shut yourself off with God, get alone, and then talk to him. I've talked pretty plain. I wouldn't want to describe how I've acted this time or two way back in my life with God. I told him one time, leave me alone. Then I thought he might. I think I broke out in tears. I said, no, don't, no, 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 no. That was a fool talking. Don't leave me alone. But man, I was going through nothing worked. I mean, I stuttered so bad. You know, here I was trying to preach. I couldn't talk. Couldn't talk. Oh, I could talk. I could make a noise. People that stutter can sing. Maybe I should sing my sermons. Now would you turn to chapter, you know, like that. But sometimes you just talk to him. I've walked through here before and talked to him. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. Why isn't this or that's working? I mean, you said it would work. I mean, and then you get quiet and you think, you already said you don't believe it. You're asking him why he's not doing it. He's already said he would. You just need to shut up and be still. Tell him, it's okay, you're right and I'm wrong. Learn. Put a watch before your mouth lest you sin against the Lord. But talk. Talk to the Lord. Bring the issues up. Deal with it. And then once you begin to see it and you draw back and you say, you know, this is something that God's going to do for me. Then you say, I will. It's decision time. I'm going to do it. It's kind of like when you put your hand to the promise. Okay, God. Because the next thing you do is the final thing you do. You confess it. Let everybody know it. We all want to watch you anyway. We let you know it. You should have seen them in a Christian church years ago when I said God's going to give me a, a better used car. Right. They didn't say it that way then. But you could almost hear, <laughs> you know, that heavy breathing. <laughs> Nobody does that. Give him a car. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. That was in 1972. And then in 1973, in January, I had a, a brand new, no miles on it, nobody in it before me, new Ford. Brand spanking new. I asked for a better used one. I got a, I got a new one. And you know what God began to do? He took the faith that we had and he gave credence to the message I was preaching. Tell us how you did this. Tell us how this works. And they began to listen. And then they begin to get it. They begin to share it themselves. They begin to believe God and launch out and do things. Six or seven preachers in that one little church in Charlestown came out of there. I mean, but pastored churches and went all over the place. I think it was just simply because we had a simple, single desire just to please the Lord. That was just to do it his way. Remember, without faith... It is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God, not to something abstract, but to a person who is God, must believe that he really is, that all of the things said about him is true, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. You're going to get blessed. Would you like to be blessed? Would you like to see an answer to your prayers? Would you like to see God invade your family or your friend's family or your brother's family and change everything, heal situations that don't look good, resolve situations that how is that ever going to be, and fix them? Well, why not? Why not? Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, make your word to be the joy and the rejoicing of our hearts. As you teach us your way and you lead us in your steps and you guide us through our life, let us so unfocus from the world and its terror and its trouble and focus on heaven and its blessings. 
and be able to do, as the Bible says, it counted all joy. Knowing that if you've hurt us, you're going to answer us. Now, I ask you tonight in Jesus' name, for all these places where the devil is attacking, I pray that, God, the sword will be drawn, a glistening, sharper than any razor sword, and that your people and their friends and the body of believers will draw the sword. We will begin to engage the enemy until he flees, that there will be healing and health and peace and deliverance for your people. I ask you to do all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.